0: Welcome to Ankerity 11 in 11. I'm Annette Mond, the KBG Foundation CEO and Executive Director. Uh, this podcast today is going to discuss some of the information that we shared over Rare Disease Day. Um, the infographics were pretty darn popular, and we had several questions about them and several comments that we thought we would revisit. Um, the first one was the left-handedness. That came as a bit of a shock. Uh, Back in 2018, I asked a question in the KBG family support group about hand dominance. Uh, Which hand is the most dominant in your KBG affected individual? Left, right, or are they ambidextrous? Surprisingly, uh, 33% were left-hand dominant as compared to 9% in the typical population. But even more interesting was the rate of ambidextrousness. Uh, In the KBG population, 9% are ambidextrous and in the typical population, 1%. When we brought this up to the scientific advisory board, they stated that it could just be an indicator of intellectual disability overall with KBG syndrome uh, because they're seeing a high incident rate of left-handedness in people that have intellectual disabilities. But the ambidextrousness really threw everybody for a loop. We, we shouldn't be seeing that, but we do. So that's a little interesting tidbit that we thought that everyone would be interested in. Um, and also the, the flat feet, that came up um, as another poll in January of 2018, uh, people were talking about how it's so hard to find shoes. So that led to well, why is it so hard to find shoes? And we found that it's because of 84% of the KBG population have flat feet. Uh, I know that our son, he, we had to wear Tom McCann wide width. They were the only shoe that would fit him. Uh, everything else would just be too tight or he couldn't even get his foot into the shoe so that seems to be a kbg trait Uh, when we were talking about the common issues in kbg syndrome we went through our uh, polls and we picked out the ones that had the highest incident rate in the topic that we were discussing and that just happened to be dental uh, gastrointestinal and behavioral those all topped out at 90% affected rate in KBG syndrome. Uh, with the dental, we see macrodontia being the very first, uh, top of the list, I mean. So macrodontia is large teeth, in uh, permanent teeth. So our son, I keep coming back to him, but that's my experience, right? Uh, his large teeth were noted on his uh, pediatric dental records. But as he aged, um, we were told that his teeth were actually of normal size. So as the population ages, it'll be interesting to see if that changes. Um, There's also several different dental anomalies that are found in KBG syndrome, including palate anomalies, such as a a high palate, um, which can make it difficult to eat and to breathe at times. So... We move on to uh, the gastrointestinal. Now the gastrointestinal is really quite serious in KBG syndrome. Um, It starts off with a lot of reflux in our infant population. Sometimes they grow out of it and sometimes they don't. Um, Sometimes that shifts into something like cyclic vomiting syndrome or intestinal migraines. Uh, Right now there is no comprehensive treatment for it. We do have a few families that ended up having um, structural anomalies that they had to have repaired. So it it does get pretty serious, and uh, which is why 90% of the patient population is concerned about it because they see it a lot. Um, And nine in 10. So when we in behavioral issues, when we ask the patient families, what's your most challenging part of living with KBG syndrome? Uh, Nine of 10 people say behavioral. The top of the list for behavioral um, manifestations is always impulse control and um, aggression and um, meltdowns. So those three things we see a lot of in KBG syndrome. And as the patient ages, it it does seem to improve. we're not really sure right now if it improves with therapies or just improves generally over time or it, our ability to uh, work within what we know will be a trigger uh, helps. But all of these therapies that we see in KBG syndrome that are the most popular um, seem to also be in the autism population, which is interesting because in KBG syndrome, we really only have supposedly a 30% autism diagnosis, uh, which is surprising considering how many check boxes most of our KBG patients check on the autism spectrum, Um, which would make sense because KBG syndrome is a target gene for autism. And we do have a behavioral uh, brochure for people to use so they can print it out, take it out to their, their doctor their therapist, and they can discuss which therapy they would like to try. That brings us to um, the facts. This is the one that got the, probably the most traffic and it caused people the most amount of concern. Um, and I'm sorry that it did that. Uh, what we find with KBG syndrome is um, actually not the syndrome itself, but the gene itself. That was the most concerning for people. So A- ancrin repeat domain 11, ancrd 11, is the gene that's affected in K- the KBG population. This gene um, provides the instructions um, for creating proteins, right? So, as we know from junior high science and biology uh, proteins are important for every cell in our body. And so if the protein is not building properly, the cells not building properly, the system can be affected in any number of ways. So it's a multi-systemic problem with KBG syndrome. Um, In about 2008, there was an article that was written about uh, NKRD11 being found to co-activate a P53 enzyme. Now what's important about that is that P53 uh, limits cancer cells. So it helps to prevent cancer cells from developing and from replicating. And what they found was in elephants it depending upon if you're an Indian elephant or an African elephant, you could have 30 copies of ANKRD-11 or you could have 40 copies of ANKRD-11. Um, but the important thing to note is that elephants don't get cancer. So it's one of the things that I learned early on in our diagnostic odyssey, once we got the KBG flag was that um, ANKRD-11 is a target gene for cancer therapies. So Recently, there have been uh, a couple of pharmaceutical companies that are developing drugs that upregulate ANKRD11. We suspect that's primarily to help treat p53 cancers, um, but it would just so happen to help our population as well. So the KBG Foundation is working to find these companies and find these drugs and develop a biomarker so that we can test against it using a computer model first. So with a biomarker, what we do is we extract tissue samples or blood samples, mostly tissue, uh, and we identify what is the same in all of those samples. Right? And once we find that, we can now say we can predict that the cell will have this kind of response. So to reiterate, (laughs) patients with uh, ANKRD11 mutations are not more likely to get cancer. We are not seeing that at all. Um, In fact, ANKRD11 just may be the key to unlocking successful cancer treatments, Um, but that doesn't mean that our population is bad at helping p53. We, we don't know that. We, we're not seeing anything that supports that theory that uh, KBG patients would get cancer more easily. In fact, it's just the opposite. they may be the key to helping a lot of people. So I hope that answers any questions that you might have about ncard 11 and its role in cancer therapies. If you have any questions Um, please send us a message on the Facebook page, or if we're friends on Facebook or LinkedIn, just uh, drop me a line. I'll see what I can find out for you. So thank you for tuning in. I hope that you make us a weekly habit. It's not the worst weekly habit you can have. Uh, For ease of access, if you check the video description, there will be links to all of the infographics that we were discussing and also the informational brochure on behavior in KBG syndrome. So catch you next week.